Well, good evening. I'm going to begin with some words uh, from Psalm uh, 30. Uh, just before we come to sing, uh, some words that will help us uh, just prepare our hearts as we come to worship the Lord. Uh, David writes uh, in Psalm 30 from verse 1, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. Well, let's stand together as we do that as his faithful people, praising his holy name as we sing only a holy God.
Well, we've sung of our God being a holy God, and our holy God, who is our Father, uh, calls us to live holy lives. And we're going to read a bit about what that looks like now from our Bible reading, which is in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 11 to 21 in the Church Bibles. That's page 1218, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. section is headed, Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. This is God's word. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are worthy of glory and honor and all praise. As we've been singing, you are the holy God. There is no one like you. There is nothing you cannot do. You are perfect in every way. And we thank you, Father, that you uh, show us what you are like. You've revealed it to us. And you've also revealed to us how we ought to live as your people. And we see in this passage that we are to live lives that declare your glory to those around us. Father, we confess that we have often fallen short. We haven't always declared your glory in the ways that we have spoken and acted and thought. Often we've done the opposite, Lord. We've uh, turned in on ourselves rather than express your glory. And so we confess our sins to you and we seek your forgiveness. We thank you that Jesus is our example in how to live in the world 
We thank you that he calls, we're called to follow in his steps. And we thank you that he's not only our example, but he also is our atoning sacrifice. We thank you that you have done everything that is needed to save us from our sins. And we thank you that you've not left us alone to try and live this way in our own strength. We thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit, the helper, to enable us to live the lives which you call us to live. And so we pray tonight, Heavenly Father, for your help. Help us to live lives which declare your glory. We pray that our good deeds may be seen by the world around us, that they would glorify you. We pray, Father, for those who are in the workplace. We ask for your help to be good workers, faithful and respectful employees. We pray for those who are in authority in their workplaces to be uh, bosses that love their staff, are respectful, are honest, and in all the ways that they, uh, they, they, they are at work, they would show the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for opportunities in the workplace to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and share the hope we have in him. We pray, Heavenly Father, for parents and for children, as we are hearing this morning, how we are called to be respectful of one another, the children of the parents' authority and parents of the children's value in your sight. Help us, Lord, to obey you in these ways, even when it's contrary to what we feel like doing. We acknowledge submission is hard, but we thank you again that in Christ we have the perfect example to follow. We pray for us at church, Heavenly Father, that we would be a people who glorify your name through the way that we love one another. We pray for your help that we would be a church where we grow together into the image of our Savior, that we would help one another in love and good deeds. Help us, Heavenly Father, to take the opportunities that come our way to serve you in different ways. And help us to take the opportunities that come our way to share our faith and build one another up. Teach us, O oh Lord, how we can better serve you. We pray that as we look this evening at uh, Nehemiah, that you would help uh, this part of your word to equip us to live for you more fervently, more intelligently, and in a way which declares your glory. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity we have tonight to come under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we come to the word, we're going to sing one more time. Uh, there is a hope so sure. Let's stand together again as we sing.
If you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me to Nehemiah uh, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, then there are some at the back. It'd be great if you uh, would get one so you can follow along uh, with what we're saying. Uh, If you have a church Bible, it's page uh, 484, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 1 uh, to 9 this evening. So let me read uh, those words to you. This is 
God's word. So let's listen to what he has to say to us. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. This is God's word. Well, I've called this uh, message, uh, Seize the Opportunity, but I've got the wrong title on the first slide. Uh, But uh, Seize the Opportunities is what it's supposed to be called. Now, on the 10th of May, uh, 1940, uh, Winston Churchill was uh, made Prime Minister of our country, and he was chosen to lead our nation at a perilous time. We were under threat of invasion, and he was the one that was called on to help in this great time of need. Now, Winston Churchill at the time had been an MP since 1901, so almost 40 years, and he was an MP for the whole of that time except for two years. He had held all of the great offices of state, so the Home Secretary, uh, Foreign Secretary, Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, For the last decade, he had been almost the lone voice against the appeasement of Nazi Germany. He was probably the most experienced man ever to become the Prime Minister of any country. And at 65 years of age, the call that really he'd been waiting for his entire life finally came. 
Here's what he said in his memoirs about that moment. He said this, I felt as if I were walking with destiny and that all my past life had been but a preparation for this hour and for this trial. The opportunity had, care, had come finally for him, and he seized the opportunity. And we know how the story of the Second World War ended. The country was vindicated in calling him to be the leader at the time. Mr. Churchill had seized the opportunity to take responsibility for our nation when it was at its greatest peril. And Nehemiah, in this uh, section, has a similar experience to Winston Churchill. His uh, nation, Judah, was in peril because the walls had been destroyed, and he had been waiting to serve in some way in rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And when the opportunity comes, Nehemiah seizes the opportunity. And today we're going to look at how he did that and how we also can do the same when we are called to serve in the work of building the church which God is doing through us. Which, if we are Christians, is how we walk with our destiny. And there comes a time when our prayers turn to action. And that's what's happening here. So far in Nehemiah, we've seen in the first four verses that Nehemiah sees the need. He sees the need. Last week, we saw how that led him, as the words on the screen say, uh, to seek the Lord. But there comes a time when we need to take action. And he prayed last week that he would have success in speaking to the king. In speaking to his boss, we found out he was the cupbearer to the king. And today he seizes the opportunity. In verse 1, we notice there that there is a time change. It is now the month of Nisan. It's no longer the month of Kislev. So Nisan is March, April time. So there had been four months of fasting and prayer. And that prayer we looked at last week is the foundation of all that is to come in the book of Nehemiah. He was a man of action, but his action was built on the foundation of prayer. And we learnt last week that so too with us. We ought to be people who serve in God's kingdom, but all of our service needs to be built on that foundation of seeking the Lord, as Nehemiah did at the end of chapter 1. But in verse 1 of chapter 2, in this new month, Nehemiah, we find him in his workplace. He is the cupbearer, and we find that the king wants some wine. And so Nehemiah, as the cupbearer, he probably had a little slurp himself first to check it wasn't poisoned before he brings it to the king. And when he comes to the king, we find that finally, after four months, there is the presence of opportunity. Nehemiah is the cupbearer. A cupbearer, as we looked at last week, is this very important job. He had the job of a cupbearer, but notice in verse 1, he did not have the disposition of a cupbearer. It says there at the end of verse 1, I had not been sad in his presence before. 
Now, that word sad is an interesting word because it can also be translated and is in other places in the Bible as evil. It can be translated evil. In other words, Nehemiah had looks that could kill. That's kind of what is being said here. And it could be interpreted by the king as evil intentions. Now, up to now, Nehemiah has kept his feelings to himself. But today is rather different. It might be a deliberate plan that he wants to show his, how he feels. Uh, it might be that the fasting has taken its toll, because the word can also mean a sad, as in the way we would think of sad, look. But he's not looking as he ought to look. When you are in the presence of the king, you're supposed to not look sad, not look evil. You're supposed to have a different kind of disposition to that. But in verse 2, the king, he doesn't get mad or dismiss Nehemiah, which is an indication which we'll see later on, which is true, that Nehemiah is a highly valued and trusted employee of the king. Rather, the king here is concerned for his well-being. He doesn't seem to suspect a plot from Nehemiah, which, by the way, if someone is looking evil or sad, there may be suspicion that they want to take the life of the king or somebody is going to do that. But the king doesn't seem to suspect that here. He knows Nehemiah is not ill, and so he recognizes that there is a sadness of heart. There's something going on in Nehemiah's life. Something has happened that's making him look this way. And we understand what that's like. Sometimes people uh, come into church or they come into work or they come into your home and we might say, you know what, you're, you're not yourself. What's going on? Well, when uh, the king asks Nehemiah this, at the end of verse 2, look at Nehemiah's reaction to this. I was very much afraid. Well, there's two reasons why he might be afraid. First of all, he could be fearful that the king might execute him for having a sad or evil disposition. The king would have been in his rights to dismiss Nehemiah. He might have lost his job. He might have lost his life. Or, and more likely, Nehemiah recognizes the moment that he's been waiting for has finally arrived. The opportunity to say something to the king about what's going on in Jerusalem. Now, you may think, why would he be afraid if he's been waiting for this opportunity for four months and finally it's arrived? Well, I think it shows how uh, kind of normal Nehemiah is because we understand this kind of fear if you think about it. If you're going for a job interview and you really have been looking for this job and you're excited about the job, isn't it normal to be a little bit fearful of how it will go in the interview? Or if you're a bit, you've been preparing for a, a big sports game uh, that uh, you've been training for or a race, and then you come to the point of, of, of taking part, isn't it normal to be a little bit nervous about what's going on? Isn't it the case that we pray for people to, to, to have opportunities to share our faith with people, and then a wide open door comes, and we're terrified to say anything? That's the kind of thing, I think, that's going on here with Nehemiah. Being courageous, by the way, doesn't mean never being afraid. 
Being courageous means overcoming that fear, doesn't it? And in verse 3, Nehemiah overcomes his fear because it says, I was very much afraid, but, notice the but, but I said to the king. So although he is afraid, he still speaks to the king. He spoke up despite his fears. And look at verse 3, what he said. First of all, may the king live forever. Now that phrase is a very common uh, phrase in responding to a Persian monarch. You'll see that phrase uh, often in the book of Daniel when they're speaking to the king there. It's the equivalent of us saying if we went to see a member of the royal family, uh, his or her royal highness. Or if we're at school, we might say to the teacher, sir or miss. I always laugh when our young people call me that when they're at the, the youth work here. Sometimes they'll say, sir, and I always say, I'm not a teacher. <laughs> you don't have to call me that. But it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of honor. Here, Nehemiah is giving to the king honor where honor is due. God answered Nehemiah's prayer in giving him this opportunity. But God also uses Nehemiah's godly character to enable him to have his opportunity. The king listens to Nehemiah, we'll see. The king is concerned for Nehemiah, we have seen, because Nehemiah is a man who honors and respects his king. Now, often we face opposition in our world. Nehemiah does in the future, we'll see. But if we want to impact our world with the gospel, then we also need to be respectful citizens, giving honor to whom honor is due. People are more likely to give us a hearing if we have a good reputation. And this applies in all sorts of areas of life, but here in particular, doesn't it apply to our workplaces? Nehemiah here is at work, isn't he? If we want to share the gospel in our workplace, we had better make sure that we are sharing the gospel off of the back of being an employee who has a reputation for working hard, for being honest, for not being a gossip, for speaking nicely and being kind and so on and so forth. It's no good trying to share your faith if you're shirking off or you're being nasty and all those other kinds of things. Give honor to where honor's due, be respectful, be honest, and we'll have much more of an opportunity when to share our faith when it comes. As a church, we need to be respectful citizens in the way that we act as well. We don't have to do everything we are told when it's not according to scriptures, but certainly when it comes to things that we might find frustrating, like certain safeguarding policies or health and safety things, as much as we can, let's be respectful and do our best to submit to the authorities as we read in First Peter. In fact, in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, we read there, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Nehemiah was a respectful, honest man, and that helped him to have his opportunity. 
Well, at the end of verse 3, Nehemiah explains his problem. He, he explains what Hanani had said at the beginning of chapter 1 about the, the wars in Jerusalem and the disgrace uh, that it brings. But notice in verse 3 the clever use of Nehemiah's words. There is no mention here of Jerusalem. Notice how he calls Jerusalem the city where my ancestors are buried. Why does he do that? Well, Nehemiah, King Artaxerxes was the king in Ezra chapter 4 who had stopped the work in Jerusalem. He had stopped the walls being rebuilt. And so rather than bring up Jerusalem, Nehemiah uses a phrase that would prick Artaxerxes' ears in a good way because ancestry was important to a Persian king. And so he uses the phrase, the city where my ancestors are buried. The opportunity he has is seized with a thoughtfulness, no doubt that has come off of the back of his praying. And we're going to see how Nehemiah has thought through what he's going to say when the opportunity comes. And this thoughtful response in verse 3 leads to a big opportunity in verse 4. I mean, this is what Nehemiah is looking for. Look at verse 4. What does the king do? The king said to me, what is it you want? I don't know how many of you at work have ever had your boss uh, say that to you uh, in this kind of a way. What do you want? A pay rise, please, or whatever you might say. But Nehemiah has a has, a, has an open goal here, doesn't he? This is a free hand. What do you want? The king recognizes Nehemiah wants something, and the king wants to help him. What an opportunity. This is amazing. And then Nehemiah says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. This phrase uh, makes me laugh because in one commentary I read, uh, it was written in the mid-90s, and it described this, as a fax prayer, a fax prayer, because it was such a quick prayer. <laughs> and for those of you that aren't old enough, a fax machine was, was pretty slow. You'd send a piece of paper through, it'd come out of the other end. Uh, nowadays, uh, you might say a text message prayer. Uh, but it was a quick prayer, wasn't it? Something very quick to God. Please help me, Lord, before he answered. But bear in mind, as, as, as wonderful as that is, that God answers his prayer when it was really quick, this was off of the back of four months of fasting and prayer that Nehemiah had been doing. This wasn't the extent of his prayer life, but it is important to note that before Nehemiah takes his opportunity, he again prays to God for help. And when we pray for opportunities to serve in God's kingdom, they will come, and we need to be on the lookout for them. Perhaps we're praying to share our faith with a family member or with a friend or a work colleague. We should be praying for those opportunities. And if we are, we should be looking out for those opportunities to come. Just as Nehemiah here was looking for the opportunity with the king. We should be praying for opportunities to serve in God's kingdom in various ways especially in the local church. Look out for those opportunities that come around. And there are opportunities in the workplace as well, aren't there? You know, promotions are not bad things. God can use those to enable you to increase your income so that you can be more generous and so on with what he has given you. 
Look out for those opportunities. And in fact, if you are a Christian and you are in a workplace where there are opportunities to go up in your workplace, if you are living in this kind of a way, it's likely that they will come your way. Sometimes you may face opposition for being a Christian. Uh, I found that too. I had employees that were not happy with some of the things I believed. But also, because of working as a Christian, you may well find opportunities come your way because you are a reliable worker. Those are good things. Let's be on the lookout for the presence of opportunities to serve not King Artaxerxes, but our King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he has this great opportunity that comes his way. Well, we've seen the presence of opportunity there. Next we see the planning of opportunity. Nehemiah was ready for this because he'd planned for it. Nehemiah prayed to God for help, but he knew what he was going to say. When Nehemiah was praying in chapter 1, he prayed believing so much that God would answer his prayer that he had planned how he would be able to help when the opportunity came from the king to help. And we see this in how he answered. So when the king says, what do you want? Nehemiah wasn't scratching his head. He wasn't mumbling. He wasn't thinking about, oh, I don't actually know what I want. Nehemiah was ready. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. And what he does is he asks for a sabbatical. He asks for a sabbatical to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He asks for some time off of his work to go do some other work. He asks that in verse uh, 5. He says, let, me, uh, let, let, let the king send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then in verse 6, the king, he asks, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? Now, that's a really good question for Nehemiah, by the way, because if you ask for a sabbatical and your employer says, take as long as you like, that isn't a good thing, is it? If I go to the elders and say, can I have, some, can I have a sabbatical? And they said, yeah, why don't you take a few years? Things aren't going well. But he wants Nehemiah back because Nehemiah is a good employee, but Nehemiah also knows how long he's going to go. Interestingly, at this point, he doesn't tell us But at the end of verse 6, he tells the king, he says, I set a time. And in verses 7 to 8, we see how much Nehemiah has been thinking about this opportunity. He was on a roll, so in verse 7, it says, I also said to him. And then he asks for these letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates. These letters were needed so that Nehemiah could have safe conduct Uh, on his journey to Jerusalem, he'd be going through the trans-Euphrates and no doubt the the authorities in those places would be coming to Nehemiah and saying, what do you think you're doing? And Nehemiah would say, well, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to rebuild the walls. And they might say, well, who do you think you are? And he'd pull out of his pocket, here's a letter from the king that says I can go. And so he'd have his safe conduct through. They wouldn't touch him because he has this letter from the king. But also, he's, he's still on a roll in verse 8. He, gets the, he wants a, a letter to Asaph, who was the keeper of the royal park. Now, Asaph is a Jewish name, so it may well be that there was a royal park somewhere near Jerusalem where Nehemiah could source timber 
to help him build. And at the end of verse, uh, at the beginning of verse 8, we see uh, three things there that Nehemiah wants to, to use the timber for. He wants, uh, he wants there uh, to make beams uh, for the gates of the citadel by the temple, beams for the city wall, and beams for the residence that he will occupy. So he's planned uh, to build around the temple, to build the walls, and also he wants to build himself a house. Now that's important because the governor of a province needed somewhere to live, and that's what that house would be when he goes there. He had planned what he wanted to do. He seized the opportunity because he knew what he would do when it came. And we need to be planning as we are praying. So last week we saw how we need to seek the Lord, but we also need to be people who plan for the opportunities that we're praying for. So for example, when we are praying and uh, for, for opportunities to share our faith, we should be planning for those opportunities to come. How might we plan? Well, we should be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in us. We should plan by knowing what to say about how did you become a Christian or why are you a Christian. You know, practice your testimony. We should know how to answer the, 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 the common questions of the Christian faith. Why is there suffering? How can you show that Jesus really did rise from the dead? And so on and so forth. Uh, just if you, if you don't know answers to those questions, uh, the Christianity Explored website has a really good section that you can look on that gives really helpful ways of answering those kinds of questions. That's how you can plan to share your faith. Uh, be prepared when opportunities come your way to serve in God's kingdom. Uh, when I say this, I, I mean don't, don't be careless or lazy or just kind of go with the flow in your service of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, God does overrule at times when we're perhaps not prepared for various reasons, but it shouldn't be the rule of our lives. We should uh, give our wholehearted, uh, our whole selves into our service of our Lord. You know, I appreciate how our musicians practice for leading us in worship. They don't just show up and take the opportunity to play uh, their instruments and it all just comes together by magic. They practice for many hours every week. I appreciate the Sunday school teachers when they prepare to teach our children about the Lord Jesus Christ. When they think about what they're going to say and, and who's in their class and, and how they can be helpful in that way. I appreciate it when the Lord's table is prepared for us by people that come early to do that setting up. When we pray for opportunities, we should also plan and prepare to take them well. The same goes for starting new endeavors at church as well. We should, when when, when we, we have an idea and we might want to come and, and speak about it to somebody, Think about what it might look like. Think about how you could help, rather than just say, something should be done. Think, how can I help in this particular need? Planning for God to answer our prayers shows that we believe that he will do so. 
And it shows our commitment to being involved in the answer. So Nehemiah saw the presence of opportunity. He'd planned for the opportunity. But at the end of our reading, notice how he gives credit not to himself, but to his real king. In the final bit, we see the providence of opportunity. Nehemiah has seized his opportunity. He's not been executed by King Artaxerxes. He's not been denied his sabbatical leave. He manages to ask for everything he wants. And this success is not just down to his good planning. Look at the end of verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. He was successful because the gracious hand of God was on him. And this was, make no mistake, an amazing turn of events. King Artaxerxes, in allowing him to go and rebuild the walls, makes a U-turn. Now, our politicians may well make U-turns very often, but the kings of Persia never did. When they said something had to stop or start, it always had to happen. They were not known for their U-turns. And here, the king of Persia does something which really never happens. He changes policy and allows Nehemiah to go. He'd stopped the rebuilding, and now he's allowing it to start. And what Nehemiah sees is what we read in Proverbs 21, verse 1. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. That's exactly what's happening here, isn't it? The Lord grants success by working in the heart of the king and channels it towards Nehemiah and what he wants. And brothers and sisters, any, any success that we have in any endeavor for, the, for our Lord is always down to him. The plans that Nehemiah had, they were good plans, but they were given to him by the Lord to whom he was praying to. The articulate and sensitive way that he was asking the king were with God-given words. The opportunity he had to be cup-bearer was given to him by his God. We see in these verses God's sovereign control through the prayers of his people. And alongside this, we see the thoughtful activity of his servant. But all the praise and all the glory goes to God. Well, the greatest example, as always in this, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He seized an opportunity to save us from our sins according to the deliberate plan of God. Jesus saving us was no accident. Acts chapter 2 says this, 
This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus Christ followed the plans of his Father, seizing them so that he could save us from our sins. Winston Churchill did have a great role at a perilous time for which his life had been prepared. He was, in that sense, walking with his destiny. But we are involved in an even greater endeavor, the building of the church that shows the manifold wisdom of God for all ages. And God wonderfully has prepared work for us in that kingdom. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's seek the Lord in prayer. Ask him for the opportunities to serve him. Look out for them and seize them when they come so that we as his people fulfill this mandate of doing the good works which he's prepared for us to do before creation even came to be. Shall we pray before we sing? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from Nehemiah which really challenge us. Heavenly Father, we want to serve you in your kingdom. We know that you've prepared works for us to do. And so we pray that you would reveal to us opportunities, help us to be wise in what we say yes to and in what we say no to. We know we can't say yes to everything that comes our way. But as a prayerful people, help us to follow you and to serve you in your kingdom, to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, before we come to the Lord's table, we're going to sing of how Jesus is the servant king, the one who has saved us from our sins. Let's stand as we sing, From Heaven You Came.
Uh, take your seats. Well, we have this evening here uh, an opportunity uh, that we should seize uh, whenever we can uh, to take the bread and the cup and to remember the amazing plan of God for our salvation that Jesus undertook so that we can be saved from our sins. So before we come to the Lord's table and thank God that he has done that, Why don't we have just a moment of quiet prayer. We can reflect uh, on what God has done on the cross uh, and also just think uh, about how we uh, can find forgiveness there uh, and how we can serve him uh, ourselves. So let's just have some quiet prayer 
before we come to the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can come and remember what you have done for us on the cross. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that is found through the sacrifice of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray as we take the bread and the cup that again we'd be ever thankful for what you have done for us. And we pray that in response we would give our lives in wholeheartedness to serve in your kingdom. Amen. Well, the Lord's table is for those who are following the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, If that describes you and you're walking uh, with him in obedience Uh, then you are very welcome uh, to join us as we take the bread and the cup. If that doesn't describe you, uh, then don't be embarrassed at all to let the bread and the cup just pass you by. Uh, But it's uh, good that you can watch what's going on because this is the gospel being enacted. And it's brilliant that you can see what the Lord Jesus has done so you can know and then you can pray that this can be for you. So I'll ask if our servers would please uh, come forward, uh, and <clears throat> we're going to distribute the bread. Uh, when you receive your bread, if you would hold on to it, uh, and then we'll take the bread uh, together. Thank you.
Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The cup reminds us of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us. And again, as you take your cup, if you would hold on to it, and we will drink together as a sign of our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, Jesus took up his cross so that he could bear our sin. And he calls us to take up our cross and give our lives for service of him. And we've looked at how uh, tonight we can seize opportunities to do that, serving in his kingdom. Uh, and our final song is a, a song of commitment uh, in that regard. Let's stand and sing, Jesus, I my cross have taken.
Brothers and sisters, let us go in peace to serve and love our King. Amen.